lead and provide care for and oversee approximately 90 churches somewhere between State College and the Delaware River. Okay, so the eastern half of Pennsylvania, this is the district that we've always been a part of. We've had previous district superintendents here. So Nate uh, and Sharon just started in this role less than 18 months ago, I believe. So this is their first time here. They spent almost 25 years in Vineland, New Jersey. So they were not that far away. Uh, they've ministered previously in uh, Queens, right? And also Ecuador. Just throw that Ecuador, Queens, Divineland. That's logical. Uh, so I, uh, I don't know Nate well enough to joke yet. So Nate, would you, you join me? And then this is Sharon, his wife. She's the real boss, I think. All right. Good morning. What a treat to be here on your 10th birthday. Woohoo! Oh, it's so good to be here. Thank you for letting us come and be here on this day. Um, yes, we've gotten to travel eastern Pennsylvania, and I can tell you it's a beautiful place. There's like hills, and it's just every time you go around the corner, there's another beautiful place. And one thing God has uh, let us do over this year is travel to these 90 churches. So every Sunday we're in a different church. Do you know what a gift that is? Because what God does is beautiful, and so every church you just see, wow, God, God's here and he's at work. So it's a privilege. And um, we want you to know that we pray for you. Um, we love God's work here, and we're praying for the other churches. And I'm, I'm seeing it as God is, like, you know how there's beautiful plantings of roses or whatever? He's planting churches. He's planting Christ-centered churches around this district, and we're asking God that God would be seen in these. And um, so we just want you to know we're praying for you. And when you pray for yourself, pray for the other churches, because uh, I'll just be honest with you, not all of the churches are um, as alive as this one is. You know how sometimes in our, our hearts get shriveled up or whatever? Sometimes that happens to churches. Mm -hmm. So pray for God to, to wake up our churches and that together we would see uh, Jesus lifted up here. I want to ask you to pray for us today. Okay. okay. So Jesus, we don't take for granted that we know you. Nate and I were really young when you let us know you. And we don't understand that. But we thank you for the gift of relationship with you. And thank you for these, uh, this group of people that you've drawn together to be in relationship with you. And we, we've invited you and we invite you now, Jesus, to make our hearts very soft. You would draw us close, that we could hear things that are on your heart. And uh, that you would be uh, free to be in charge of our lives today. We give you this time and we invite you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Sharon. Uh, it is such a privilege to be with you. Uh, we are really glad to be here. Um, I want you to know that um, even when we were in Jersey, um, our church was praying for you because we felt part of what was happening here. In fact, I remember the day when there used to be some meetings over in this section over here, and I would come to those meetings uh, just because the, the, the DS, the district superintendent that I was working under in Jersey, said, is anybody have a heart for what God's doing in Philly? Would you join in just to support us? So I traveled from Vineland 
to come and be with Jim and some other pastors just to be supportive for what God was doing here. So um, we're celebrating with you 10 years. That's just amazing what God has done. I entitled the sermon that I'm going to give you uh, today to, to double down or to re-up or to renew. And, you know, there's a lot of different meanings around those words, but the idea is like we are fixing our eyes on what was the original vision of why God sent us here. And uh, Jim has referred to that, but I want to give you Jesus's words of why you're here. And they're they line right up. So this is not something new or some, something different. Everything that's to be celebrated about the life of True Vine over the last 10 years, uh, everything that is worthy, everything that, that is to be applauded would fit into this category, this text. Because this church exists because in the same way that the Father sent Jesus, so he has sent you. So to the extent that you have done the kinds of things that you were sent to do, to the extent that you have lived out the kinds of things that Jesus called you to live out as his sent ones, we applaud those things. And today, I want to ask you to double down on those things, to re-up on those things, to renew yourself as a church around those things. So what I want to do for you is to unpack two aspects of the sending of Jesus. Two parts, and there's, there's many, many more, and, and we could go long about this. I'm just going to give you two about how the Father sent the Son, and in the same way that the, the, the Father sent the Son, so you have been sent. So let me just say this. The key word there is the word as... It's not just to be doing something for Jesus. That's not what counts. Not just to be active, not just to be busy, but you are busy in the same way that Jesus would want you to be busy, that you're doing the things as he would want you to do them. And there are two aspects of that that I want to share with you. The first um, comes from also from John 17, but I want to back up and show you this in John 15 as well. It has to do with something about Rooted in the love of the Father. If you ask, how was Jesus sent? Jesus was sent in a way where it was crystal clear to him that he was loved. And as you are sent, you are sent in the same way to be rooted in the love of God. You see this in John 15 where it says, As in the same way that the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I have loved you. In John 17, it says something very, very similar. It, it says that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. And now we're going to have to put some words in here for all the yous because you can get confused. Like, who's talking about what? All right? that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you, that's Jesus is speaking here, and he's speaking to God the Father. This is his prayer. And he's saying, God, it's my desire that the world would know that you, God, sent me, that you sent Jesus. 
and that you, God, have loved them. Do you, do you know who the them is there? That's you. Do you know that Jesus, right before he died, had you in mind? He was thinking about you on the cross. He's God enough that he can do that, that he can have in his mind people who yet were not born, and he was praying for you and thinking about you. And one of the things that he desired is that you would know, according to this text, that you would know that God sent Jesus and that God loved you even as God the Father loved Jesus. Thank you for that amen, because that's a wow. Now, if we go back at John 15, look at what that text says. It says that, that as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. There's this measure of love that comes from the Father, and the measure of love that the Father gives towards the Son, that's the measure of love that Jesus, the Son, feels towards you. That's what John 15 says. Now look what John 17 says. There's a measure of love that the Father has for His Son. Imagine the love that God the Father feels for his son. That's the standard of the measure of God's love. And in this text, it does not say that that's the love that Jesus feels for you. That's the love that your father feels for you. Jesus moved in that. Wherever Jesus went, wherever Jesus ministered, he was sent with this dynamic, with this rooted reality, I'm loved by my father. My father thinks about me all the time. My father's crazy about me. My father loves me. My father, I'm cherished to my father. I'm precious to my father. Listen, if you're a Christian, and if your understanding of what it means to be a Christian simply is that you're not going to hell, and that's all that it is, I go praise God that you know you're not going to hell. But you are sent to know this, that the Father is crazy about you. He's not just putting up with you. He loves you. And here's the third. This is John 17 as well. I made known to them your name. This is Jesus again speaking. This is just a few verses later. Jesus is saying, Father, I made your name known to them. And in the Bible, the, the word name is a big thing. It, it, has, it, 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 it describes everything about a person. So when Jesus says, I made known your name to them, in other words, Jesus is saying, I let them know what you're like, Father. Do you know that before Jesus, people couldn't really know what God the Father was like? Before Jesus, people would have thought, God, yeah, I'm out of here. But you ever notice how, how children interacted with Jesus? Like, if you studied the New Testament at all, when, when the Pharisees were around, you know, the religious rulers, the children would look at the religious rulers and they'd say, I'm out of here. They, they'd look at the disciples of Jesus and they'd say, ooh, I'm not so sure. They would look at Jesus and they'd run and get in his lap. Jesus reveals the Father. 
If you really knew your father, you'd run into his lap. Do you think that way about God? Jesus was sent with this dynamic reality. I am loved by my father. And he goes about revealing to other people what the Father is like. So I may known to them your name and I will continue to make it known because here's the dynamic of what happens. When you begin to understand what your Father is like, the text says that the love with which you, the Father, have loved me, the Son, that that very love may be inside of them. Now, let's put all three of these together. It goes like this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. The Father's love, this is the measure. This is what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about what's given out is the Father's love. The Father's love for the Son is the kind of love Jesus feels for me. Number two. That the world may know that you love them even as you love me. The Father's love for the Son is the kind of love the Father feels feels for me. Not only is this the kind of love that Jesus feels for me, but God the Father feels that way for me. And that the love with which you have loved me may, may be in me. The Father's love for the Son is the kind of love the Father places in me so I can love others. So, so get this. We are sent in this way to be rooted in that kind of love. Now, it's hard for us just naturally to get this. Because for most of us, and, and my, my guess is for everybody that's listening to me, your, your concept of love is that love is kind of like, did you ever, uh, when you were a kid, go, uh, she loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. We think of love as like, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. We fall into love, we fall out of love. And we often think that love depends pretty much on somebody else's performance or on our performance. Are we good enough to be loved? So we come to the end of a given day and we measure how much God loves us or what God feels for us. And the measure typically is, is dependent on what we have done in that day. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I'll end my day and my mind will just scan to everything I did in, in my day. And if I yelled at my, life, at my wife once, I go, ooh, maybe God doesn't love me because I yelled at my wife. Or if I did something that I know is just clearly sinful, like I go, oh, like God probably is going to punish me. Like God's not going to listen to my prayers anymore. Like God's going to be against me. See, our view of love is very human. And Jesus says, I want to reveal your father to you so that you would know God is not like that. That's just not the way God does life. Here's a, here's a, a beautiful phrase. Excuse me for my emotions, but I just get so pumped about this. There's this phrase that, that God uses, and he uses it in the Old Testament. This isn't just New Testament stuff. In, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, he says that he set his affection on his people. I love that language. You probably go like, who would ever talk like that? I talk like that. I, I, see this lady up here? I set my affection on her. 
When you set your affection on somebody, when you place your love on somebody, it's not based on what they do. It's simply a gift given to them. That's how your father loves you. The best illustration that I can come up with this is my grandchildren. I got seven of them, and they are, like, incredible. Here's a picture of one of them. Got to get that thing off the screen there so you can see it. Just, I'll let you just see That's just one of them. It's like, oh. That's my oldest granddaughter. I mean, she's just like a jewel. Like, she's the best. So I remember when she was born, I come up from a family of six boys. No girls. Of my generation, with the last name Howard, there were like, I don't know, 16 boys and one girl. That's my generation. Then my, then, then my, my brothers, six boys, no girls. I have sons, three sons, no daughters. So I was pretty sure I was going to have grandsons, no granddaughters. I have five, I have seven grandchildren. Five of them are girls. And you know what? They love their papa. I mean, they just think, they just think I am the best. They're the kind of granddaughters that crawl up in my lap and rub the back of my hair, you know. So anyway, I remember when my granddaughter, Ava Grace, was born. I set my affection on her. She had done nothing. She had barely taken a few breaths. She had never been nice to me. She had never been mean to me. She had done nothing. But from April 16, 2010, until today, Ava Grace is in my heart. She's my granddaughter. And I, I love my granddaughter. Now you say, Nate, that's, that's just so emotional. Do you know your God feels emotions like that for you? And you go, are you sure that illustration works? Let me just tell you, the illustration I just gave you of setting your affections on another person and, and saying that God perhaps would feel something like that towards you, I just want you to know what I gave you is a bad illustration. But do you know why it's a bad illustration? It's not bad because it overstates God's affection for you. It's bad because it doesn't compare to God's affections for you. It cannot even begin to speak to the heart of a father that would give his son to die on a cross for you. And to be a Christian. Yes, it's, not, it's about not going to hell and it's, but it's so much more. It's to have the Abba Father ring true in your heart where you say, I've got a daddy and he's nuts about me and he set his affection on me. That's how Jesus moved on earth. And he said, listen, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So every time you have been church. Every time in worship you have celebrated the love of your Father as you did this morning in worship. Every time you were rooted in the love that God has for you. Every time you celebrated the gospel where Jesus made a way for you to be loved by God the Father. Every time you did that, you were living out your sending because that's the bottom line of what church 
must be. Can I get an amen to that? Now, there's a second aspect, and to this, I want to take you to another text. This is John, Matthew 3. You recognize it? Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John the Baptist to be baptized by him. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. So this is the same point that I already made. It's another text that repeats the same thing. Jesus moved from beginning to end in the rootedness of his love from his Father. But do you notice in this text there's something beyond love? What's the second thing that Jesus moves in? He was not only the loved son of God, but the father also said, not only do I love you, but I am well pleased. I am well pleased in you. So I want to explain that. The the well pleased here doesn't mean that the love of God is conditioned on our performance, not in any way but that there are two aspects of Jesus' calling. One was that he was rooted in the love of the Father, but the second was he did the things that were on Jesus' heart. He moved in the agenda that God had. And when the Father, who has something deep on his heart, sees his children move in the things that are on his heart, the Father looks at that and he goes, Ah! He's pleased by it. Now, again, we could unpack what are those things that are on the Father's heart, but this text gives us one beautiful picture that I want to show you. So if you, if you would, just take a few minutes and go with me to this story. It's at the Jordan. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've never been there, but it's this river. I don't think it's in like a spectacular river. And it says, multitudes of people were coming to be baptized by John. Now, I don't know how you guys do baptisms here, but whenever I do a baptism, you know, you get them in the water, and I usually like to pray over people, maybe give them a text from Scripture, like see if God puts anything on my heart to pray over them. So I usually like to take a little bit of time with them. I don't just like, you just dunk them and go. So I don't know, but there's multitudes of people coming to be baptized by John. And John's the single guy doing the baptisms. So if there's multitudes of people and there's one guy doing the baptism, what picture does that give you in your mind? A long line. So that's the picture I want you to get. Is here's this long snake of a line and people waiting their turn. Like, what are you in for? Like, what? I mean, this is all about the repentance of sins. Like, what, is, what sin are you like, repenting of? And, all right, so this long snaked around line, and, and, and then there's another group of people that says, whenever you read the gospel, there's the people in line, and do you know who the other group is that's present? The Pharisees, the religious leaders. And are they in line? They're not in the water. They're not close to the water. They're getting as far away as they can. They're like standing off at a distance, probably with their arm closed, looking at them like, like down their nose at all these sinners. 
And there are all those sinners, they're like, sinners, defiled people. And then there's this snaked along line, you know, people hanging out. I wonder what that was like. Maybe there were some tears. Maybe there's some like counseling. Going. I don't know what's going on. Here's the question. Where was Jesus? Was he with the group of people up on the hill snubbing his nose at him? Where was Jesus? He stood in line with them. Who did he identify with? Who did he hang with? Here's the question. You're in line with your people. And when Jesus made a choice of who he was going to declare as his people, the religious elite, or the broken needy, Jesus said, I know who my people are. And he stood in line with them. I don't know what he said when they said, what are you in for? What sin did you commit? Because he was sinless. He wasn't there because he had to be there. He was there just because he liked the crowd. Because he wanted to identify with them. And when it was his turn, you saw what happened. The father could wait no longer. As the father's watching all of this thing unfold, and, and, and the father sees his son identify with the broken and identify with the sinners, for he did not come to save the righteous. He came for the broken. He came for sinners. And as the father's observing his son that he loves, fulfill the heart of the father by standing there with those people the father could wait no longer and heaven literally opens the text says the typical divide that there is between the two realms heaven and earth was broken because the father could not contain himself anymore and the holy spirit floods into that moment in the presence of a dove, and he lands on him, and God the Father speaks and says, listen, everybody, not only do I love him, but this is my son. I am so pleased with what he's doing. This is the son that gets it right. This is the son that reflects my heart. You see, I think these two go together because there's this reality that we can't stand in line with sinners until we have the love of God the Father in us. Until we know something about what the God, God the Father feels for us, it's very difficult for us to feel that towards people. That The truth is they're a nuisance. The truth is they're just a mess. But when we realize, me too, and they're my people, then the Father says, you're reflecting my heart. So true vine, every time you've identified with the broken, every time you've gone out of your way to be with people that are in need, your father says, you're fulfilling what I sent you for. Because the two callings were to know the love of the father and to partner with what's on his heart. As the Father sent me, so I sent you. 
in uh, Vineland, New Jersey, when we lived there, after a while, our, our church sold its property and we moved. And so Sharon and I had to buy a new house. And uh, so we were very intentional of the street that we lived on, Fenimore Street, uh, two houses down from where we lived was a drug uh, prostitute house. And uh, we liked diversity, and so the street was a very diverse street. And uh, we asked God for his kingdom to come to our street. And it was such a joy for us to watch that happen. And I could tell you story after story of being with our people on Fenimore Street. One time, we were Christmas caroling, and uh, we used to do all these kind of, our small group would do stuff on our street to try to bring presence of, of the kingdom to our street. We were doing Christmas caroling on our street, and uh, that was a little bit unusual for Fenimore Street. Like, people just didn't do Christmas caroling on that street. You know, we would just go along singing Christmas songs. And um, so we came to the two houses down from us, the drug prostitute house, and um, I was kind of like, let's just keep going. And my wife, she's not like that at all. She says, we're stopping here. And I was like, sure. And like, we got kids with us. She says, we're stopping here. So I said, send the kids. So um, we, we open the gate and the kids, you know, go through to the front door. And, you know, it's just a, the house is a disaster. And the, these little like seven, eight year old kids, you know, excuse me, all white, you know, just all like all look like me at this house. And they knocking on the door and um, nobody answers and so we're singing outside and they're knocking on the door and finally like this lady opens up the door but she's not properly dressed and so she opens the door kind of like what and then she hears us singing and she goes oh, and shuts the door feels shame you know so we just keep on singing pretty soon the door opens up again and it's two ladies and they're both got a more clothes on and they stand there as we sing about Jesus, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And they start to cry. So the, the little kids go up and give the Christmas gift, you know, wish them a Merry Christmas. And then we're, we're on our way up the street, and then we come back down the street, and guess who comes back out when we're coming down the street? Those two ladies come back to the door, and they call us over. And they said... Never in my life has someone done something like that for me on Christmas. My neighbor right next to them, so it was our house, then our neighbor, and then that drug prostitute house, our neighbor right next to us. Um, they were both from Philly. They're real Philly people. I mean, I, we loved them, but they had moved to, to our neighborhood because there was a... Um, retired home for veterans behind us, and her dad was in that home. So they moved in there, and she got bone cancer. I don't know if you're familiar with him, he has bone cancer, but it's extremely painful. And she couldn't lift her leg or do stairs, but they didn't have a, a, a ramp to get her out of the house, and she had to go for treatment. So uh, I made a commitment that uh, if they would call me, I would be there anytime to help her get up and down the stairs so that she could get to treatment, get her into the car. Things got worse and worse. Um, she, she would be regularly soiled, if you know what I mean. And so picture me down on my knees. I had to lift up her feet to get her foot to the next step as she's soiled. I remember when she was bedridden, and uh, she was so receptive to hear talk about Jesus. 
And I would go over and she would just be in pain and I would hold her hand and I would talk to her about Jesus. And I remember her, her looking me in the eyes and I said, Diane, you know Jesus, don't you? And she'd just weep and say, yes. She couldn't talk. I'd say, and you know Jesus is ready to receive you, right? He's ready to take you home, right? Just would cry. And her husband, Roger, would watch all this happen. He was a Jewish guy, would watch this happen. He was just like, what's happening to my wife? But she, she died peacefully. Soon after, Roger came to me and said, I don't know what you did for my wife, but I want you to do that for me. I said, you mean like lift your legs? And like he said, no, no, no. That, that talk you had with her, I want that talk with me. There's something about being with God's people. There's many things. It it goes against us to do that. Because the loved one, like our tendency is that we get love because we perform well enough. And we're just going to have to know that in Jesus it doesn't work that way. We get love just because God sets his affection on us. And and we're going to have to learn the second one, that to be with people as God would desire is is like we're going to at times have to say to the religious crowds that are on the hill, we're going to have to say, you know what? I could be with you religious people on the hill, but I'm going to go stand in line with the sinners because that's what I'm sent to do. Last verse. There's another text in John 20. It says the same thing that we started with, but it adds a little bit more. Jesus said, peace be with you. You recognize this? As the Father has sent me, in the same way that I was sent, loved by my Father, and and, and doing the things that are on his heart, I'm sending you, but look what comes next. And when he said this, he breathed on them. When's the last time that happened to you? You know, someone comes up to you and goes, (sighs) that's just weird. Breath, especially in the Jewish mind, it's the same word for spirit. The life of a person was in his breath. Jesus is doing a prophetic act, saying this. Listen, for what I'm sending you for, don't think you can do this on your own. You can't come to understand the ways of the kingdom on your own. If it's not by the Spirit of God breathing on you, you can't do it. So he breathed on them and said, receive my spirit for the task that's given to you. And I would say True Vine Church community, for what the next 10 years hold is the Lord tarries, receive his spirit. Receive his life to fulfill the calling that he's given you. As the Father sent him, So he's sending you.
you mind standing with me? I want to lead us in prayer. Um, you know, our vision is to make disciples that sustain revival, and we have five strategies for how to do that. The very first strategy, it's first in the list, but it's also first in priority in my mind, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it is not only impossible, but very frustrating to try to follow Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to respond to what Nate taught us this morning by just creating a little bit of space for us to wait on the Lord. Um, this is something that we don't need to get tired of, that we don't need to do, you know, once every couple of years, but something that we can do from time to time. So I just want to, we're going to just take a moment of silence and wait on the Lord and see if he speaks to, to any of us. And we're going to respond as he speaks, and then I'm going to just lead us in prayer and, and uh, close and dismiss us in a moment. So Lord, as you've put your finger on things, you know, lies, misconceptions, false ideas about you, sin, idols, false spirituality, other things that we may have dedicated ourselves to, Lord, and remove those things from us and begin to prepare us to receive the Holy Spirit. As individuals, but also as a church, uh, we will fail miserably in trying to do the works of Jesus without the spirit that Jesus had. So, Jesus, we just uh, continue to meet with us. We receive your Holy Spirit by faith, but we go into the next 10 years asking for more, that there would be greater things uh, to come and greater things to do. And we want more, Lord. We want an upgrade in the fullness of the Holy Spirit that we encounter on a daily basis. Uh, day by day. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank